Abba? 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 Abba and the Ant. <laughs> Falkland War begins with Argentina invading the Falkland Islands. It lasts for just two and a half months. By proclamation of the Queen of Canada on Parliament Hill, Canada patriates its constitution, gaining full political independence from the United Kingdom, included as the country's first entrenched Bill of Rights. Ozzy Osbourne bites the head off a live bat thrown at him during a performance. French-Canadian racing driver Gilles Villeneuve is killed during qualifying for the Belgian Grand Prix. The musical Cats begins its 18-year run on Broadway. Spanish priest Juan Maria Fernandez y Cron tries to stab Pope John Paul II with a bayonet during the latter's pilgrimage to the shrine at Fatima. Abba, Adam and the Ants, Blondie, the Eagles, and the Doobie Brothers all break up. Chia pets are first introduced. Kel Ripken Jr., a baseball player, starts the first game of what eventually becomes his record-breaking consecutive games played streak of 2,632. The first Rubik's Cube World Championships is held in Budapest, Hungary. Intruder Michael Fagan visits Queen Elizabeth II in her bedroom for a chat. The first compact discs are released to the public in Germany, and Sony releases the first consumer player. Roxy Music releases Avalon, Prince releases 1999, and Fleetwood Mac releases Mirage, their first studio album since Rumors. The first emoticons are posted by Scott Fallman. Tylenol murders occur when seven people in the Chicago area die after ingesting capsules laced with potassium cyanide. In Orlando, Florida, Walt Disney World opens the second largest theme park, Epcot, to the public for the first time. Coleco starts mass-producing Cabbage Patch Kids. John DeLorean is arrested for selling cocaine to undercover FBI agents. He is later found not guilty due to entrapment. In Canada, Dominion Day is officially renamed Canada Day. Michael Jackson releases Thriller, the biggest selling album of all time. Diet Coke is introduced. The first U.S. execution by Lethal Injection is carried out in Texas. The Commodore 64 PC is released, the same year Time Magazine gives its Man of the Year award to a computer, which is the very first non-human inductee. The following celebrities were born. Thora Birch, Seth Rogen, Kelly Clarkson, Kirsten Dunst, Jewel State, Prince William, Tara Lipinski, Jared Padalecki, Anna Paquin, Brad Renfro, and Alicia Cuthbert. While the world at large mourned the loss of the following luminaries, Paul Lind, Thelonious Monk, Lee Strasberg, Philip K. Dick, John Belushi, Vic Morrow, Henry Fonda, Princess Grace of Monaco, Glenn Gould, and Marty Feldman. And at the Grammy Awards, Men at Work win for Best New Artist. Record of the Year is Toto's Rosanna. Album of the Year is also Toto with Toto 4. Song of the Year is Always On My Mind, sung by Willie Nelson. And the top five singles from Billboard are Physical by Olivia Newton-John, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Ebony and Ivory by Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder, and Centerfold by the Jay Giles Band. The top five albums are Asia with their self-titled album, The Go-Go's with Beauty and the Beat, Foreigner with Four, John Cougar with American Fool, and Jay Giles Band with Freeze Frame. It's 1982, and, and this, this is, is Hermophobia. Hermophobia.
Welcome to Hermophobia number 29. I'm Alan. And I'm Mark. I'm Russ. And we're here to talk about the films of 1982. Uh, before we get things kicked kicked off here, how's everybody doing? I am doing fantastic because I did my taxes this weekend and I'm getting money back. Sweet. Excellent. I haven't done my taxes yet, but yeah, it's been a good week so far. Uh, well, we're at the end of the week, but a good week. Very cool. Speaking of Blondie breaking up, they guess what? They got back together. I saw them live last week. It kicked ass. I know, and you you were on cloud fucking nine, man. I, I yeah. I'm really scared. The death is right around the corner now because I'm pretty much done. <laughs> top fifty list. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The top five is pretty much check, check, check. <laughs> so unless Rough Trade gets together really, really soon, it's. <laughs> Except you've already seen Carol Pope. Though. I saw Carol Pope, but I didn't see Rough Trade. There's, okay, there's, yeah, there's I know. a distinction. Um. Also, last weekend was the Academy Awards. Does anybody have anything to say about what happened there? Uh, I never watched it in its entirety because I well, I have a hard time watching them now. What about the results? Any surprises or disappointments? Um, no, did you check my email against my list that I gave you? There was nothing in that list, sir. I, I made highlighted changes to it. Nope. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> they did not come across. There was no body to that email. Oh. How about you, Ross? Well, I thought Hugh Jackman did a, a good job as a host. He was uh, one of the rare non-comedians to take the role. Um, thought there was some there were some highlights. I really enjoyed the song and dance number done by uh, Baz Luhrmann uh, in the middle of the show. The Beyonce one. Yeah, I, I liked it in its in a corny kind of way. Yeah. It was very over the top and and. It was a it was a show that had a lot of low points. So I guess that that was my uh, high point. Well, the um, the Ben Stiller uh, Joaquin, oh, Phoenix Joaquin Phoenix thing, thing. That was impersonation funny. that was funny. It's kind of weird how how fast uh, how fast uh, you can mock or make a parody of something, and and we don't even know if Joaquin's making a parody of something else. He he, he might not be seriously messed up right now he could be just uh, apparently he's doing a a, a documentary about yeah. becoming uh, a rap star kind of a mockumentary that's just it like, Affleck's directing yeah. it there's speculation about whether it's some sort of you know big Andy Kaufman gag kind of thing or, or right. what but yeah. so to see Ben Stiller sort of riff off that too it's it's now where is Ben Stiller going with this is, is he really poking fun at it or is he is he in on the joke well no I well, what I what I read about this was that uh Ben Stiller was very upset at his material that he was supposed to read, and he he refused to read it. And he, he came up with this at the last minute. They had no idea what the hell he was going to do when he went on stage. I like the uh, the montage that uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen did when oh, when, yeah, when, when uh, Franco was kissing yeah. Sean Penn on, on the clip, and fucking Rogen starts inching away from him on the couch. That was fucking hilarious. <laughs> That's super. Yeah. And they got the cinematographer. To come out at the end. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, suck that on was, that. What the... <laughs> that was great. There was a lot. There was a lot of. Uh, I, oh, I couldn't stand the montage they did of of, of animated films, and <sighs> they missed about ninety percent of what's come out this year, just so they could show uh, ad nauseum and Clone Wars and and uh, a Panda Kung Fu Panda, and there was so much more that came out, um, uh, especially in foreign uh, release uh, films uh, and. And it was just it was a popularity contest. I wanted to see a best horror montage just to see how they'd work Wally into it. Like <laughs> it was getting ridiculous. Like, well, no, 
everybody was scared for Wally when, when he got thrown down the garbage chute. There. See? Okay. Well, see, this is what I meant. I wanted to see how they'd work it in. Anyhow, that that's uh, 2009. Let's uh, let's go back to the Wayback Machine here and take a look at 1982. Are you saying that nobody in New York will work with me? Oh, no, that's too limited. Nobody in Hollywood wants to work with you either. I can't even send you up for a commercial. You play the tomato for 30 seconds. They want a half a day over schedule because you wouldn't sit down. Yes, it wasn't logical. You were a tomato! A tomato doesn't have logic. A tomato can't move. That's what I said. So if you can't move, how's he going to sit down, George? I was a stand-up tomato, a juicy, sexy beefsteak tomato. Nobody does vegetables like me. I did an evening of vegetables off-Broadway. I did the best tomato, the best cucumber. I did an endive salad that knocked the critics on their ass. And we'll start off by talking about the uh, top 20 films of 1982. And why don't you start us off here, Mark? Um, at the very top, is oh we're talking at the bottom then yes okay then Re- disregard that at the very bottom of the list at number 20 was Richard Pryor with Live on the Sunset Strip um, I've seen it I, uh, Richard I, uh, Pryor's stand up was never really my bag I think it's interesting though that you have a, a, a live concert in the top 20 like when was the last time that happened was this the last time that happened because the closest I can think of is like Sarah Silverman, um, Jesus is Magic, but it didn't it didn't do very well in theaters. And the only thing that's kind of you know like kind of live presentation thing is um, an inconvenient truth that I can think of, which isn't like me slapping funny. Well, no, but I'm, I'm just saying like you know some sort of live performance thing that would be you know bust the top you know the top yeah. of the films for the year. That's I pretty know, cool. I, 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 mean, I can't think of any others. Yeah, good for Prior, man. Maybe Delirious. Uh, a few years later, but, could possibly be. A well, no, because Delirious was um, an HBO special. Raw was the first one that was theatrical and by Eddie Murphy. I'm not sure if that was top twenty. I'm not. Yeah. I'll we'll have to check. But um, yeah, it, I I saw it. I, it was it was you know typical stand up shtick. It, it, it's I find it really unusual to go to a theater to see a guy stand on stage on a like, sit on a chair for an hour and a half. Um, I really like the poster though. You remember the poster? He's, that where he's, he started, it looks like he stepped on something he and he's like, holding his foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he stepped on something on Sunset Strip. Yeah. It was a great poster, I thought. But. I, I don't recall it at all. Right. I, if, if I probably have seen it because I was huge into comedy back then. But, um, yeah, I got nothing, nothing about it. All right. Number 19 was Best Friends. This was a Goldie Hawn, Burt Reynolds romantic comedy. Um, kind of predating uh, When Harry Met Sally, but not as... Uh, not as funny. Well, or, well, it wasn't as funny, but it it obviously didn't stick in the uh, collective conscience the way that uh, when Harry met Sally did. Yeah, nobody was moaning over their sandwich, so. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I still like Goldie Hawn, though. Oh yeah, yeah she's adorable. Eighteen was the sword and the sorcerer. This is an oddity, like like. We're, we were just looking at the list here, and everybody was kind of like, holy fuck, that was in the top 20? <laughs> like, and um, this was a sword and sandal piece of shit with uh, Lee Horsley, yeah. who went on to be Matt Houston on television. I think Kathleen Beller was in this as well. It was... I, I have... I'm... I'm, And myself as well. I know. I, I, I'm a huge... Uh, like fantasy nerd, you know. I I watched all those movies when I was when I was a kid, and this one here, I felt dirty after watching it. It was that bad. Uh, 
that I, I barely got through it. Was this the one with the triple bladed um, sword that went f- shooting off? I can't remember. I, I, I successfully blocked it. No, off. I don't think it was crawl. I think it was. I think it was, no, I think it was sword uh, and the sword. Crawl had the little, the little, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyhow. At number 16... Nope. No, number 17. Number 17 is Conan the Barbarian. Number 16 was uh, The Dark Crystal, a Frank Oz... Um... Uh, Jim Henson production. Oh, where, did, where, did I, where did I pull uh, Frank Oz oh, out of no, my ass? It, it, was... Was, it was directed by Frank Oz and Jim Henson. Look at me! Yeah. <laughs> Co-directed, yeah. yeah Any comments on a... The Dark Crystal, guys? Um, I liked it more in the comic book adaptation of it. I, I just watched this about uh, again about uh, six seven months months ago, and I ended up falling asleep in it. <laughs> it does it does lumber along. Uh, it, it was great if you're a puppeteer and you like you like that. Great, you'll you'll find a lot of interest in it. Otherwise, it's it it was it, they were trying to trying to produce something for a. A tween audience and and mm-hmm. and older kids, and I don't think it really had the action and, and adventure. Plus, there's a lot of things in there that that uh, um, puppeteer fanatics would would say were not were not exactly good kosher in the film. I mean, they had the main characters were were basically short people, or what is the word now? The <laughs> Little people, people in in costumes. They had masks though and everything, but it it, it wasn't mm-hmm. a full fledged puppet production. Um, they sort of cut corners, I thought. I would say skip this and go for Labyrinth. Exactly. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, number fifteen, Ross. Number fifteen was Firefox with Clint Eastwood. I rather enjoyed this. I I'm. Uh, but then again, I'm, I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan, so. I don't think I made it much further than the opening credits. I'm not sure. Had some great, uh, great scenes with the fighter jets, and it was it was grounded in in it was supposed to be grounded in our present day with a mm-hmm. little bit of futuristic elements added. Kind of cool to see all that, uh, like, sort of like, like a real life video game. And like uh, yeah, uh, voice voice commanded weapons, uh, heads up displays. Yeah, it was. I, I liked it. I preferred Blue Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Whisper Mode. and that. Yeah, that was good. I like, I like Blue Thunder. Uh, at number 14 was The Toy. With this Richard was another Pryor. Richard Pryor, yeah. And Jackie Gleason. Dick Donner production. Yeah, directed. Yeah. Yeah. This, I'd, it was funny in its time. I think now it would be kind of borderline offensive <laughs> um yeah because he pretty much buys him doesn't yeah he? well and that's that's addressed in the movie and everything too yeah. but it just um jackie gleason's sort of brand of humor at that point was a little uh, maybe a little too edgy for contemporary audiences <laughs> in the wrong kind of way uh number 13 is uh first blood number 12 and uh this will induce uh, sleepiness. Gandhi. <laughs> Put on your diaper and uh, settle down oh, with uh, yeah, with, yeah. Directed by Sir Richard Attenborough too. Yeah. Like that's yeah. I never, I have never made it through this movie. No, I've never had I, any interest I, in it. Speaking of Academy Awards, I, 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 I basically started watching every year from '79 onwards, and I was as a little, I was, I was just. Uh, I guess a tween back then, and um, 
I was really offended how much Gandhi was sweeping up the Academy Awards when I'd seen so many other great movies that year. I wanted them to get something, and here's this guy basically getting them all, and I uh, couldn't stand it back then. I I, had, I remember my parents dragging me to the theater to see Gandhi, and boy, what a... Isn't that uh, bordering on child abuse? <laughs> you would think so. It was terrible. Very, very slow, and... Huh. Yeah, I got nothing. I would have snuck out and tried to get something else in there, like anything. Well, there are scenes. I mean, I mean, now I can enjoy certain parts of it. It just came out on Blu-ray, and and uh, there's scenes in there where there's literally thousands and thousands of extras, and no CGI back then, of course. Yeah. And and it, it basically you you don't it, you don't get to see that anymore. Um, Attenborough and uh, David Lean were two people that really knew how to wrangle up a lot of extras for their for their movies and it's a long long uh, lost art unfortunately you can't sort of get that crowd effect the same anymore with with computer uh this it just no. it, it misses something yeah yeah because you can always see like like copying yeah uh, anyways ah number 11 was the verdict this was a Sidney lumet film with uh, paul newman who sort of played a down and out alcoholic ambulance chasing lawyer who uh ends up with a fairly important case in his lap and he tries to rise to the occasion this is a great movie unfortunately yeah i can't remember it i know i've seen it but myself too i i don't recall much about it um it was uh targeted for uh, academy awards basically that's my feeling uh i don't think it was made specifically for the academy it was it was a great it's film. release and, and everything else yeah. i mean i mean i thought it was it was a vehicle for newman uh, yeah oh definitely definitely but uh, but a very good one yeah uh number 10 is annie sing it boys Tomorrow. it's a hard knock for us <laughs> hey there you go uh, there's a comic strip strip and adaptation um all the way back then and um as much as i want to say it's it's uh totally not a cool movie i i thought it was good i remember seeing it uh it came out on my birthday and i remember going i think about Lucky a week later. <laughs> <laughs> i can't well, wait to go see Annie. <laughs> a, a year later return of the jedi came out on my birthday but yeah i had to uh i think it was my sister's turn to pick the movie that year and and we went to see annie and i i was i liked it i still you like it you weren't allowed to pick the movie on your birthday yeah i think no, you get a birthday no. veto dude <laughs> Um, this was this starred Albert Finney and um, Carol Burnett. And I, yeah. I is Eileen. Does it uh, matter? Brandon, it wasn't Eileen, Eileen Brennan, but it was Eileen Quinn. Quinn. Oh, no, uh, no. As, the, as, as Annie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, where's she now? In some back alley, strung out on. Uh... She was. <laughs> she was on Broadway. I thought. Uh, or, or she. She went on Probably still milking that red wig somewhere. <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, like the songs uh, still stand up. Like I heard uh, a commercial on TV, like at, at my at my work, and uh, they were singing the songs. Work watch TV. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're uh, like the songs still sounded exactly the same. Like it was scary how good they sounded. They don't change the lyrics, do they? No, but the sound of them. It sounded the same. Okay. So, Don't make number number nine. nine was the best little whorehouse in Texas. I fucking love this movie. <laughs> we'll be talking about it Another later. Another Broadway production. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number eight was Poltergeist. 
Again, Numbers, we'll be talking about that later too. Number seven was uh, Forty Eight Hours. Uh, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy as a buddy. And Annette O'Toole. And yeah, uh, uh, well, and don't forget James Remar. Oh yeah, but Annette yeah, O'Toole was another Remar. big movie that year. I know, but I I, I enjoyed this. This is a Walter Hill film. Yeah, this was um, it was funny. It was you know it was sort of the prototype for um the the comedy action buddy flick mm-hmm. um made a huge star of eddie murphy and um yeah, he was what like what 19 or something at the time um he just blew up i don't know walter hill i i can't really say i like walter hill no? most of his movies the warriors i don't i, I just his i i find his direction is is a little it plods along and it it, it I find he needs to get a better editor. I think. Really, I think I think he's a really interesting guy because I mean he does writing, he does producing. Oh, yeah, he he wrote he like the Alien films. Yeah. Like oh, as, as a director, though, he does. I, I, I really want to love the guy, and and and, and he's done a lot of great great movies in the genre. But he did one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, Bruce Willis movies, uh, Last Man Standing. Oh yes, that's right. Yeah, I I like that a lot. Then again, he also did Supernova. I like that one. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> uh, anyhow. Uh, next up, we have uh, Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Okay, I know you guys are just dying to do it, so do it. <laughs> just do it. Khan! <laughs> um, anything more you guys would like to say about it? Um, that's actually coming up later. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay, my bad. Uh, number five is Porky's. And number four is Rocky Three. Huh. This is the Clubber Lang one with uh, Mr. T. It's Dave. Mr. T. <laughs> ah, pity the fool that hits Hulk, me in the face. Hulkster was in it, too, at the start. Yep. Uh, yes, yes, he was. Uh, yeah. Rocky was trying to get into other things, and he was in a charity wrestling match, and I think that was the Hulkster's first real big uh, yeah, playing Playing Thunder role. Lips. Thunder Lips, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, would we all agree that the Rocky franchise is pretty much degrading at this point? Oh, hell yes. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gotten it's gotten stale, but it, it's still it still was a big draw. I mean, uh, and and it was uh, look, it's one of the tentpole movies that they put out in the summertime. Yeah, and it made a big star out of uh, Mr. T as well, because after this was eighteen. Eighteen, right? yeah. yeah. Don't forget Survivor. I made a big big. Uh... Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I of the time. <laughs> it's the thrill of the fight. Yeah, yeah that's rising right. up to the challenge of arrivals. Where are who is where are uh, we here? Ah, dude, number three was an officer and a gentleman. I love this movie. Yeah. I it really was, so do. Did I. I this is a great film. This is Richard Gere and Deborah Winger and David David Keith, Keith. Robert Loggia. Um, Loggia. What's her name? Um, the cute little redheaded blondie thing. Um, she didn't do a lot of films. She was in Prince of Darkness. Lisa. Lisa Blout. Yep. Yes, this um this Did you is say Lou Gossett Jr. too. Oh, Lou Gossett yeah. Jr. Grace, got his uh, Grace got an award for that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he won Best Supporting Actor. Hey, David Caruso was in it too. Yeah, who knew? And um, oh, Elisa, Eliza. What's her name? There was another Lisa Elbacher. Yes, she she was sort of a character actor back then, and she was in quite a bit of stuff. I liked her. Um, this is a great film. This is um, romance big time. Drama. Um, Gear plays a wannabe officer. 
who um, is basically trying to find his place in life, and he seems to think it's the military. Yeah, because uh, he's got no other place to go. <laughs> and this movie, it will lift you up where you belong. There you go. It, it, is, it is a great movie. It's a good movie. It, it is. is. It, 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 it had everything in it. Too, and that right? ending, how many times have you seen the ending redone oh, in one form or another? Simpsons, Simpsons uh, Friends, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, it's, a, it's a movie that you'd look on paper and you'd think, what what the hell? Yeah. This is going to be the formulaic. But you yeah, know, but the performance is really. Oh, Deborah Winger is amazing. Blew it out of the water. Deborah Winger is amazing. Gear is is you know you, you totally get it. Like, uh, number two is Tootsie. This is Dustin Hoffman, Bill Murray, Terry Gar, Sidney Lumet, Daphne Coleman, er, Sidney Lumet, um, Sidney Pollock. Sidney Pollock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's Gina in it as well. Davis. He plays the. Yeah, well, yeah. Gina Davis is an early role for her. Yeah. Um. This is uh, where Dustin Hoffman pretends to be a woman to get a role on a TV soap and ends up falling in love with the the leading lady. <laughs> um, it's it's cute. I, it's one of those movies I like it better now than I did back then. Back then I really didn't care for it. But um, but I've, I've grown to appreciate it. Uh, I find that's really hard to admit, but... Uh... Back you found Tootsie the, Sexy, didn't you? Back in the early Sick 80s, fuck. I did have the poster on my wall. <laughs> but I'm saying this because my mom and my sister both worked at the video store. Yep. and put it on them. Brought me back yep. posters. Yep. Yeah, that was it's it. all right, Mark. I had a pretty yep. woman poster on my wall. Yeah, then. but it wasn't Dustin Hoffman and rubber boobs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they looked awesome. Great and oh, well, number one, number one surprisingly, is E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Yay. with just... over with over double the box office double, take yeah. than number two Tootsie. So uh, at the time, it it managed to uh, overdo Star Wars from seven well not seven years ago uh, earlier, but uh, five years earlier. I and... saw it six times in the theater, so some of that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, with over 360 million take. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. And this was the first movie that made me laugh and cry in the theater. Oh, man. I yeah. Guess. Yeah, it was a big sobbing, snotty bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eminem. Uh, peanut, Reese's or Pieces. No, Reese's Pieces, that's right. Yeah. Reese's Pieces. Uh, Eminem's actually was offered first, and they thought that the movie would be too scary for its clients <laughs> or its uh, number one consumer, little kids. And so they, they said, no, we don't want it, and gave it to Reese's Pieces, which at the time was just starting. I believe there were, nobody had really heard of Reese's Pieces until that mm-hmm. movie. Oh, yeah, out. yeah. And speaking of Deborah Winger, she was one of the voices of E.T., Oh, okay. So those were the top twenty films of nineteen eighty-two. Um, we may be revisiting some, or or talking about uh, other really great films because there were so many great films in nineteen eighty-two as we carry on here. Oh yeah. So let's move on.
Okay, last time Ross uh, kind of threw us a curveball and introduced a new segment is uh, this year in uh, Ridley Scott. I'm going to hijack the program at this point and do my segment called How Gay Was 1982? <laughs> um, there, homosexuality was a pretty big theme in a few films in uh, 1982, yeah. and they basically fell into three camps. You're doing it right, you're doing it wrong, and what the hell are you doing? <laughs> doing it right was Robert Town who um who did his first directorial film with uh, Meryl Hemingway and Scott Glenn and Patricia Donnelly called uh, Personal Best. This was a great film about um, Olympic athletes training and getting ready to go to the Olympics and sort of the relationships that happened in between. Um, Meryl Hemingway and uh, Patricia Donnelly had a great relationship at the center of the film. You guys have seen? Um, I I don't think I have after you described it which saddens me because there is nothing I like as much as girl on girl action. Yeah. I, I don't think I've, I, I thought it was about bikes, but I, I think it was another movie. I'm thinking, I'm thinking yeah. I don't remember, I don't remember Mariel Hemingway. No, no, no it was, I think it, you got the B wrong there. I think it's a D. Um, yeah. It was done by Robert town who did like Chinatown and, and the two Jakes. And I mean, he was, he was a really prolific writer and this was his first directorial um, project. Um, the other one that was doing it right was Blake Edwards with uh, Victor Victoria, who, um, while the whole premise of the man pretending to be a woman, pretending to be a man, or no, a woman pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman, thing really isn't all that gay. A lot of the characters in the film, including Robert Preston's, were um, Alex Karras, and it was just, it was done really, really sweet. They didn't make a big deal about the homosexuality, and it was funny without making fun of them. Yeah, it was just a natural part of the movie. Yeah. It wasn't like, ta-da, look at us. Yeah. In the uh, You're Doing It Wrong camp was um, Making Love, a overly, overly, overly melodramatic film with uh, Michael Onkeen, Kate Jackson, and Harry Hamlin. Its heart was in the right place, but it was just a little too soapy to be really, really enjoyable. Anybody seen it? Um, not that yeah, I'm aware of. I think I I've seen it, but yeah. yeah, you're right. It was it was it was sort of it was it was sort of what they did with. Uh, I'm thinking of a movie that came out a year before, or two before called Cruising. They sort of took the whole concept and they, they no, made it into. No, they're hugely different. Cruising was a William Friedkin film with Al Pacino where he went undercover to um, yeah. with the gay bars and everything. <laughs> Uh, making but love they overdid it. I mean, you were you were just talking about Victor Victoria, sort of. Oh, it, it was sort of. It was not taken as as a, it was not a showcase. It, you, it was not a plot element that was what was they decided to put right out there. Yeah, you, it's still Victor Victoria told a story. Yeah, and, and making love felt sort of like they had, it was a gimmick. Um. Well, it was it was a love triangle and just sort of you know how these two people couldn't be together because of their sexuality she was in love with him and he was he loved her but he just wasn't in love with her he wasn't able to physically love her the way that he wanted to he was all about harry hamlin which i totally understand but um <laughs> but whereas cruising was really fixated on sort of the aberrations of the whole sexual counterculture fisting and yeah. um like it would just it it went to the nth degree and really kind of shone a really really bad light on on, on gays in general because they yeah. did focus on the really aberrant nature of, of some mm -hmm. of the practices in some corners. Um, and the last one where the what the hell are you doing was Ryan O'Neill and John Hurt in Partners. 
this was a horrible comedy that just played on every stereotype about homosexuality and I paid money to go see this. It's a horrible, horrible movie, and it's got a, a mean little heart, and it's and it, it it thinks that it's being cute, and it just terrible, terrible movie. Avoid at all costs. Yeah, especially those see-through pants that. Oh, you're, you no, know, you're thinking of so fine, dude. Is this uh, yeah, right? is this the police one? Is yeah, they're cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought oh. that he made the. No, that's called so fine. Oh yes, okay. See, I'm already, I'm already blending it in with other things. Well, yeah. I've got, I've got another one on your worst list. Uh, you won't believe this, but Slumber Party Massacre was written by Rita Mae Brown, and she's a noted activist, uh, feminist, lesbian. She dated uh, Martina Nat. Navratilova. And um, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> a little misogynistic um, with the drone. There's a yeah. It, uh, if you look at the poster, even it's yeah. quite. Uh, I I can't find the. Uh, I mean, of course, there's no undertone in the in the movie at all. That I, but it was funny to see that from a from yeah. from her. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like Jennifer Lynch Chambers too with uh, boxing Helena, right? Like, you've got a oh, woman yeah. director who. Makes a film about a woman who gets hacked up by a man who's trying to control her. Like, yeah. it, it's <laughs> somewhat misogynistic, you know. Ooh, somewhat? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> ooh, you're going to slap me? There go your arms. Oh, you're going to try and get away? There go your legs. Like, <laughs> Rita, um, Rita Mae Brown did go on to do Long Hot Summer, which was really good in 85. Long Hot Summer. Is that the one with Kelly Lynch? Um, Bobcat Goldthwait? Oh, no, I'm thinking of Cod Crazy Summer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm thinking of Hot to Trot. Wait, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. But it, it really, I it's just totally out there. I, 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 what was she, what message is she trying to yeah. bring across? Mm-hmm. This guy in the huge power drill, phallic looking thing. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe, you know, man trying to dominate women with their big drills. But there you go. But I thought I thought it was pretty interesting that in you know in 1982 they were trying to be somewhat progressive and and yeah well I guess I guess with the uh, AIDS breakout that would happen shortly thereafter it kind of turned the tide on on bringing that around and we probably didn't see it really addressed in in sort of a mainstream form again till like Philadelphia and stuff. So. Uh, where would you put Tootsie on that list? Because, I would put it on that list because it, well, there, there's that relationship between Tootsie and Dab, Dabney Coleman's character. Yeah, but it was never it's a romantic more, relationship. Uh, it was comic yeah, relief, yeah. situational comedy. Yeah, but yeah, so that's how gay 1982 was. Great. Yeah, I like the segment. <laughs> so, in other words, it's gonna be like, how gay is this year? Well, it, it, we'll we'll see if, if if the if the year if the year warrants it, then we'll we'll just go gay, gay, gay on it. <laughs> it's good you came up with this because I had nothing this year for Ridley Scott. Totally, I, my segment has nothing. I know the I'm guy sorry. rested on his rolls this year. He didn't do sweet fuck no, all. He didn't he even just, have a bread commercial. I know what the fuck. <laughs> Next up, we're going to talk about the stars of 1982. Some. People that we think um, maybe broke through or just delivered some pretty incredible work that year. Um, I'm going to start things off this time around. Alrighty. With um, my number five being Eddie Murphy. 48 hours, um, between 48 hours and Saturday Night Live, that he broke through in a major way, and he was untouchable for the next decade. Mm-hmm. Um, he just he became a, a huge, huge, huge star. Yeah, I'd like, and if you attach his name to any movie, 
people would show up to it. Uh, the Golden Child, case in point. Oh, I like that. I, I like the Golden Child. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My number four is kind of a cheat because um, it's basically the cast of um, um, The World According to Garp. Robin Williams, Glenn Close, and John Lithgow. These all, you know, really established themselves as major players in Hollywood at this point. Um, like we said earlier, Robin Williams had done Popeye and Mork, mm-hmm. and this really kind of proved that he had um, he had the had jobs, jobs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Glenn Close as well. You know, this um, this was the first on-screen performance. I think, I think she'd done a lot of stage work before this, and this was sort of her big break, and she got an Oscar nomination out of it. And John Lithgow, come on, this was the. Yeah. The, the father in Footloose and the the the, the affair in, in terms of endearment and he just he made a major presence for himself on screen and then moved over to TV and and kicked the shit out of uh, Third Rock from the Sun so mm-hmm. um, my third choice was uh, Sylvester Stallone he uh, carried on the Rocky series this year with a second successful sequel and started another franchise with um, First Blood. He was he again at the top of his game at this point. Basically, he hadn't become um, a parody of himself with films like Cobra and Over the Top, and um, this, he was in his prime. Hey, I didn't like Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, I have Jessica Lange. This is a two-time Oscar nominee this year, and she kind of broke it uh, into the next level. You know, she was no longer just King Kong's plaything or the chick that uh, Jack Nicholson railed on the kitchen table. Um, she won a very, very, very suspect statue for her role in Tootsie, which she was good in and everything, but she rocked in Francis, and I think that's really where she deserved it. And my last pick for the Actors of the Year, this one's probably a little bit more personal than it is actual um, career or anything like that, but Nastasia Kinski. I am... She didn't have any really big breakthrough roles, but she did. Uh, she did get all kinds of naked in Cat People, which a lot of people seem to enjoy. And she was uh, one of the centerpieces in uh, One from the Heart. I I, I did enjoy that. <laughs> I thought she would. Um, and and that iconic image of her laying naked with the snake on her was I probably on mm-hmm. millions and millions of walls all over They're, North yeah. America. So, Nastasia mm-hmm. Kinski, I love you. <laughs> I love you. Okay, who next? I'll let Roscoe. Okay. Roscoe. I have Robin Williams, number five. Uh, we've already discussed. Um, number four, great actor and, wow, Ricardo Montalban. You know what? I, I was actually thinking of putting him on my list. He, because, huh. well, seriously, I mean, he, I think he probably made a bigger name for himself as Khan in Star Trek II yeah. than he ever did as, as Mr. Rourke on yeah. Fantasy Island or yeah. any of the other... Like this, like, like it has lived on for well, okay, eighty two. What's that? Twenty six, twenty seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it is iconic. Yeah, it is. It like when people is. people think of the Star Star Trek movies, they think of that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's and and they stop thinking of rich Corinthian leather. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and he looked good. He was, uh, I believe, he was sixty one yeah. or sixty two at the time. He He's all chesty. He, he he was kicking ass and taking names. A, a great great performance. Number three is is kind of strange. I I really thought um, Jason, not not the actor, but the uh, character Friday the Thirteenth Part Three. This is where Jason started to get his groove. Well, got his he, groove on. He got his mask on. Yep. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. I, do you remember when Entertainment Tonight used to be, like, it used to be interesting? Oh, yeah. Not, not some <laughs> just And you make up words for the theme song? Entertainment Tonight. Oh, that's right. <laughs> now, it's, now it's just this over-glossy gossip mongering. It's, it's a video version of the gossip rags that you get at the grocery store. Exactly. Now... I I used to watch it probably when it first came out back in '82 and afterwards. It used it to really because '81 Debbie Harry did an interview for oh, uh, Cuckoo. Might have been '81 then. Yeah. Um, they really loved movies back then. I mean, even Friday the Thirteenth had a little segment where Leonard Maltin sat in the theater and talked about Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, and he he talked about the history of 3D cinema and at the end of the little segment Jason actually comes out of the screen with his machete and tries to hmm. decapitate Leonard Malton I mean you don't see this yeah. stuff anymore like a lot of people wanted to <laughs> but, <laughs> but they actually took the time to look at movies and, and talk about the you know where why, how they got to this point and so now it's what just you're talking who about is, is like, Paris Hilton uh, boning yeah. and, and so what you're talking about is like uh um, production value has been lost. Well, they still have no. good production well, yeah, value. Production but it's, value it's, is still there. What are they? You know, it's the it, it, they're do, they're doing a lot more sensational stuff, and they're not doing anything really in depth anymore. So, mm-hmm. totally. They're, well, I mean, that's that's uh, a, a mirror to the current society as well. Absolutely, true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, number two was Lou Gossett. Um, cool. Loved him. I when I think of Drill Sergeant, I know Lee Emery did a great job. Uh, um, about five years later, mm-hmm. another great drill sergeant. But whenever I think of a great drill sergeant, it's Lou Gossett all the way. Um, superb performance. Finally, my number one is uh, didn't like the movie, haven't didn't like the play. I believe it's based on a play, but Peter O'Toole in my favorite year. Oh, uh, got you know what he? I remember there being so much buzz for him about that film back. Oh, excuse me, back then. Um, I didn't see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was very either. quite, quite grip. Very, you just, you had, he, he captivated you in, in every scene he was in. Um, great performance. Didn't like the movie, though, overall. Yeah. Forgettable movie. Great performance. Cool. Alrighty. Um, my list is already half, over half done. <laughs> Because uh, at number five, I had uh, Ricardo Montalban for uh, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, Robin Williams for Garp. Sebastian Stallone for First Blood. <laughs> it sucks being heard sometimes. <laughs> I know, it sure does. But uh, um, my like top two are both from the same movie, which is uh, Harrison Ford and Rutger Hauer. In yep. Blade Runner, good choice. Uh, Rutger Hauer, I don't think has done as good a performance as he has done in that since. Uh, he needs like a very strong director to to get him in the right direction, and uh, his performance in in Blade Runner was phenomenal. And Harrison Ford, like like you felt everything that he did. Uh, like when he had to re-break his fingers after uh, Roy oh, Batty broke them in the gun. I still can't watch that. Yeah, it's it very, is uh, like rotting. his and his uh, 
like pain when he's trying to hold on uh, after he yeah. jumped jumped the building and is like he's holding on with his broken hand. That's like you, you see it in his face, and it's just he's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, performance by both of those guys. Cool. Very cool. So why don't you start us off with directors since you got short shrift on your actors? <laughs> um, Steven Spielberg for E.T. Uh, we've already talked about it. We've already talked a lot about uh, his his direction in it. Um, yeah, I almost I almost had him again for uh, Poltergeist, but yeah, he wasn't really the technically the director for that. <laughs> but yeah, Steven Spielberg. Um, then up, I had uh, Ted Kochcheff for First Blood. Um, beautiful, beautiful work on it. I just, I enjoyed the pacing, everything. It was. It really, it, it um, it really did sort of establish the, the the tone and pacing for the action films that we're going to follow in in mm-hmm. subsequent years. Um, and well, you just watched it again last night. For good or bad. <laughs> for good or bad. Well, you just watched it again last night. Like, yeah. uh, does it still hold up? Well, it. it, I, it it's very perpetual the it you know the pacing is very keep moving keep moving keep moving keep moving which totally totally suited the film however that and i'm not taking anything away from him because i mean it did suit the film and it made it better film it just it got um it got mimicked a lot and sort of because of that you see characterization and action films sort of fall by the wayside and and it just everything becomes so divisive and so plot driven. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, uh, next up I had Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot. I knew it was going to uh, be on his list. Good choice. Good choice. <laughs> um, they everything about that movie, uh, the way that they, all the actors are just like in this tiny little metal box, uh-huh. and yeah. The seamen are in the long tube. Mark is gay. How the segment should be called "How Gay Is Mark?" Well, this is called hermophobia. That's right. Eh? Um, but yeah, he's everything about that movie. Like I watched the director's cut. Uh, was it ninety ninety two? Came out ninety three. The uh, the like three hour long director's cut of it, and I watched it at possibly the worst theater in Vancouver, the Ridge Cinemas. Uh, seating wise and like normally those those are seats that uh, after you sit in them for a few minutes you want to kill anybody around you just to try to be more comfortable like it like your hips down go numb it's horrible seating I watched the three hour long version of Das Boat and the end credits started rolling it's like what it's over I, I was completely engrossed in the movie. I did not break out of it at all for the pain that was happening from my hips down. Nothing. It was I was just so into the movie. It was beautiful, beautiful done. This yeah, and this was Wolfgang Peterson's big introduction to North American audiences. Mm-hmm. Um I've never seen this movie. It holds no interest for me whatsoever. But he's done some like he's done some really interesting stuff subsequently. Have you ever seen the movie Shattered? Oh yes, yes. That fucking movie is Early awesome. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in the line of fire, enemy mine. Yeah, that I didn't know that was Wolfgang Peterson until recently. Perfect storm. Yeah, perfect storm was piece of shit. (laughs) Wolfgang Peterson, the good, the bad, the ugly. (laughs) But it is. I mean, you see, he did his last film was Titanic, 
or not Titanic, uh, <laughs> Poseidon. Poseidon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, he also did yeah. Troy as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, this is a guy. His his career Hit is really kind of yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, but I, yeah, I can't sing, sing enough praises for Das Boat. Uh, and even I'm the, sure that's everybody on Mark's list. No, 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 no. Uh, you already know my my top two directors <laughs> as well. Um, if you've listened to even a few minutes of any of the podcasts, you will know uh, John Carpenter yeah. as the director of The Thing. Uh, I, I can't say any more than I've already said ad nauseum and we've already talked about it a lot like it's well just... i will because he's actually on my list too and i'll use this opportunity to speak okay i think that the thing um really took john carpenter to the john carpenter to the next level it 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 is a genre film but it doesn't feel like a genre film no. it it feels very much like a drama um yeah. it, it it's brilliant it, it's it's well shot it's mm-hmm. well acted um it's great paced great editing um everything about I mean Carpenter Carpenter really rose to a level of excellence in this film mm-hmm. that he previously hadn't with the with the exception of Halloween because I'm sorry but Halloween is just like mm-hmm. it, it, it's the pinnacle but um, some of his other films didn't show this kind of production quality and a lot of his subsequent films didn't no and I think that he should be very 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 proud of the thing and I think anybody whether or not you're into that kind of film or not, you should sit down and watch it because mm-hmm. it is a great character study. It's it it it's mm-hmm. just it's just a great film. Um, has there? Uh, we all know that it's that it's a remake of uh, the thing from Our Space Planet, yeah. Uh, which I had the, opp- the the opportunity to watch a little while back, yeah. and um, I have never seen a remake that completely blows away the original like this the fly uh on up till now okay up till now yeah when was the fly made 86 yeah um but up till now uh, a remake totally outstripping and doing anything that yeah the the, the original had like the original was laughable yeah. well the original was but, a b movie it was you yeah. know it wasn't um you know, if if it was if it was made the same time that Carpenter's thing had been made, it would have been marketed towards drive-ins. Yeah. Whereas the thing was was made for for an actual real theatrical run, and it, it's just it's a great film, and it just it didn't get the props that it deserved back then, and I think that mm-hmm. people should be aware of it now. Yeah, I I didn't get a chance to actually see it in the theater in '82. Uh, my mom brought it home on one of her weekend video things, and uh, I remember finishing the, the the tape and I rewound it and watched it again. Yeah. Like it was, it blew me away. If you pick up the DVD now, one of the all-time best commentaries. The one with him and Kurt Russell. Yes. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like they're getting loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun listen. Yeah. And my number one. Ooh, ooh. Let me guess. Um, 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 um. Who who directed yeah. Paradise? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Amy Heckerling for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, don't say that. That's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just, I'm just trying, I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just trying to, you know. All right. A little bit. <laughs> the Master. 
Ridley Scott. <laughs> Do you mean he did something more than a bread commercial? <laughs> uh, he did indeed. He pinched a real loaf this year. <laughs> Shut your mouth. You know, you know I love it too, man. I know, because yeah, we, we both got the five-disc beautiful collector's briefcase. edition, briefcase edition of it. Yeah. No, I don't. Uh, it, I, I am still waiting for that perfect day to sit down and watch the final cut. I haven't seen it yet. I have been waiting for a long, long time. Uh, uh, again, I mean, he's 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 on my list as well, and yeah, this was this was another um, another big milestone for for Ridley Scott. Um, Alien probably being the first one, this being the second. Um, like he, two he, genre. He cobbled himself some big, big fucking shoes that you know he's been able to to stay in relatively well throughout his career. And Not pull a Wolfgang Peterson. Exactly. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I haven't seen um, what's the new one with uh, Russell Crowe and uh, Body of Lies. Big Head Boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Head Boy. <laughs> That's all I see is that giant mountain of us is. But every time I see him, but... you're probably going to hell. I'm thinking, oh, please, <laughs> like you're not going to be there waiting. No, no, I, I actually plan on having you hold a seat for me. Thanks. <laughs> I'll keep it warm. But I'm bum. <laughs> okay, Ross, how about giving us some directors? Okay, John Melius for uh, Conan the Barbarian. Didn't do much mm-hmm. after. Totally fell off, fell off uh, the radar after Conan. Could have, I'm sure he could have done a lot more. He's he's done some uh, ghost writing for uh, other directors, created some uh, other other works, but nothing on nothing behind the the camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, number number four, John Carpenter. We've already discussed. Mm-hmm. Number three, Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek II. Here, the, here they had mm-hmm. Robert Wise, a very somebody who had directed for almost four or five decades before uh, for Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and then Nicholas Meyer was relatively—I don't think he was more than thirty years old when he did Star Trek II. Um, incredible, great, great gamble on this guy. It is, but I think, I mean, like, you look at a lot of the Star Trek movies where they, I mean, Shatner's done one, Nimoy's done one, um, um, who's the bearded dude from The Next Generation? He's done a couple of them. I, direction, I think, in a Star Trek film isn't as important as script and editing. Because, I mean, the big difference between Star Trek The Motion Picture and The Wrath of Khan is about 45 fucking minutes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, Khan is 90 minutes. I think it's yeah. 90 minutes on the nose. Um, you know, it's so much shorter, it's so much faster moving, and it it's lively the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, and unlike and the, three, unlike three the went plotting. back to the, the, plot, the oh. plotting along. I yeah. mean, um, I like The Undiscovered Country. He also directed that. Um, now, he did sort of cr- take some, steal some ideas mm-hmm. from Wrath of Khan. He used a lot of Shakespeare quotes. We had the, both of the villains seem very, very similar, at least to me. Um, but cool. That's what I have for number um, number two is Wes Craven for Swamp Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give I'll give props for Wes anytime. I mean, the, yeah. the guy. I enjoyed Swamp Thing. Here you go. Here's a comic book movie. Uh, yeah. One of the, one of the earliest uh, comic book adaptations, and I thought he he took a took a took a gamble decided to to uh direct and i don't think he did much before that that's 
That curious uh, casting with Adrian Barbeau, though, don't you? But think? I, I still enjoyed her though. Oh, she, she did. She was in another great movie that year, uh, Creep Show, yeah. in which I couldn't figure out where I was going to put it. Um, I thought Creep Show was. Yeah. She, she became sort of a another Jamie Lee Curtis for a couple of years. He was, she was in a bunch of. Yeah. She was in the fog. Well, too. she was, she was married to John Carpenter for at that oh. time as well too. So, um, hmm. I. I I thought the the costume looked kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, oh, no, it, was, it, it was, didn't mm-hmm. stray too far from the source material. Um, the villain was really – what was his name? Um, Louis Jordan. Yeah, Louis Jordan. Was that? Yeah. Yeah. I just um, watched it again recently, actually. Number one, Amy Heckerling. <laughs> you know what? It was, I was not trying to snag Amy Heckerling. You looked at my list. No, oh. I didn't. I know. I think she's great except for um, the um, – Except for the Look Who's Talking movies, but no. oh, and and what was that movie she made last year or the year before with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer? I like uh, that one. You're, yeah. Um, um, oh, I can't be your woman, or yeah, I'll, can, I'll never, I can never I, be your woman. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot, actually. But <laughs> um, she did, she did Clueless as well. She, I, and I mean, she captures the the feeling they she totally captures what it was at the time to be growing up yeah i mean i, I, was I wasn't that age at the time but you you see a lot of uh people uh, who had seen that movie and said man that nailed it yeah. that mall mentality yeah. and, and think of the people that that came from that movie that have just blown up since they're like sean penn yeah uh jennifer jason lee yeah phoebe cates phoebe. judge reinhold came out of there um but it was it was written by cameron crowe Yes, and he was just a youngin at that point, so right, yeah. So, and, and I mean, she went on to do Clueless. I mean, she's had some. Uh, she did a. She uh, now I'm thinking of someone else. I'm thinking of Penelope. Spears. Penelope Spears. Yeah. But um, she she really I I thought Clueless once again. I mean, oh, I, was I wasn't the that age at the time, but um, you really felt like you're watching something that was real and and not some sort of comic book. Mm-hmm cutouts characterizations cool that's it yeah oh yeah okay so my list uh, my list is looking a lot pretty similar except i had walter hill on mine i do think that he did a great job with 48 hours and that he this was probably his last big huge movie Mm -hmm. um as a director i mean he's done as we said a lot of writing and producing and stuff like that um i thought he did a great job Ridley Scott, hats off to the guy. Blade Runner mm-hmm. is visionary, and he is completely to credit for it. Uh, Steven Spielberg, again, uh, you know, poltergeist, <laughs> whether you believe it or not. He was he, uh, he was a producer and, um, I believe, a writer on that as well. Yes. So even if he didn't direct it, I mean, he, he, he was a big influence on it. It's a great film, as is E.T., um, and my number one is John Carpenter. Like I said, I think yeah. that he really transcended the genre and, and made a great film, not a great genre film. Mm-hmm. And so those are the actors and directors of 1982. Right on. Right, so that's the end of part one of 1982. Wow! I know there's some good stuff, guys. And I, 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 I celebrated a birthday while we were all talking about the first part. It, was, oh, no. it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a awesome. lot of stuff to talk yeah. about. You might celebrate another before we let you go here. So, all right. Until um, next time. Next week. Until next time. Take care. Bye bye. Share the